welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Soup. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Today, I will speak with Robert Hall. Robert is the CEO and founder of 636 Advisors and the author of the book, Don't Be Dumb, based on his business experience over the last 30 years. Robert specializes in revealing limiting beliefs that today's entrepreneurs face on their journey to success. We will talk about what are these beliefs and how we can overcome them as entrepreneurs and much more. So stay with us. Robert, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate uh, the invitation. Absolutely. So I know that you go up around the world and you're working with the entrepreneurs to help them uh, increase uh, in the beginning of their career. Can you share with us your path, what brought you to work with the entrepreneurs traveling around the world, the impact you, your path? It's really interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting, Karen. I actually had early exposure to entrepreneurs by working in my grandfather's shoe store uh, on holidays and weekends and summer vacations and helped him with his small business that he had in uh, North Carolina. And so that was my earliest exposure. And then I also worked for a bike shop that was a startup bicycle shop uh, as my first job when I was 16 years old. So, so you had the on-the-job training, huh? I had on-the-job. I saw what to do and what not to do <laughs> and learned some different tricks and approaches, but also the challenges that entrepreneurs go through. And I migrated over time to work. I also worked for some small businesses while I was in college and university. But then I moved into bigger organizations, but sort of took those things I learned from the small businesses and applied them in different ways in larger, larger organizations. Spent uh, quite a number of years in that in that world, working my way through finance, went back to school, uh, got degrees and uh, dual concentrations in finance and information technology. And then I have circled around to doing consulting for the last nine years with everything from small businesses like realtors, but also large multinational businesses sort of circled around on my life. Yeah, it sounds like you grew in this environment. So what do you remember as a child? It's interesting. In hindsight, what caught your eyes? What insight did you have when, as a child that impacts you today? As a child, I think I was intrigued with my grandfather and what he did with a 10th grade education, a child of the Depression, went to work early, and he had like secret codes that he would use on his shoes on the boxes of shoes didn't have any computers but had a secret substitution code so he would know what every shoe box of shoes cost every pair of shoes and he could instantaneously know what he could afford to sell it at if he needed to do a sale if people were buying lots of shoes he could give them a discount and still make money and it looked like magic to me as a child it was like don't you need a computer don't you need a calculator he didn't need any of it he had a substitution code he wrote on every box 
No one else could understand it. He taught me how to do it. And uh, he used a code for the city in North Carolina called Rockingham, which is 10 letters. Uh And Mm -hmm. he substituted the letters for numbers and he could know exactly what he paid for anything in the shoe store. Really creative. (laughs) Very creative. And it, it also taught you sometimes you can do things. You don't need computers. You can do things using your mind. You can do a different approach to solve a problem and be very quick in response to your customers that way. Amazing. Love the story. You wrote the book, Don't Be Dumb, right? Based on your 30 years experience. How you contribute to entrepreneurs who want to build something meaningful in the day to day? I think it, it contributes because it talks about how you can recover from mistakes, how you can mistake proof things. And all those things, you know, if you think of entrepreneurs, frequently you don't want to make a mistake. Nobody wants to make mistakes, but everyone does. So embracing that allows you to recover more rapidly from your mistakes and make that meaningful contribution to the world that you want to make and uh, build a good team, a successful team that um, moves forward. So what is the key to rapid recovery when you make a mistake? And do you have an example from your own life? Well, I think ideally you would have a, you have sort of, you've looked at the risk, you have a mitigation plan already in place. So that's number one, that you've already looked at it going in. What could go wrong? What would I do if it does? Mm-hmm. That's the best of circumstances is have that plan in advance, give it some time and thought beforehand. But regardless of plan or no plan is take ownership of the mistake. Don't put the blame on somebody else. You did it. You own it. Even if it may be the customer contributed to it, do not go there. Own it and move very rapidly to take action to fix it. Sometimes it's literally a matter of minutes mm-hmm. to solve, to get it solved. But you know, when you're speaking, I, I, I agree with you. However, I'm thinking that in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you really need to be self-aware of yourself. Mm-hmm. Not working out of your ego, right? Because even if I'm working out of my ego, I won't take ownership of on other right. mistakes, right? So it's really, right. this is the challenging part, no? It is very challenging. And I, you know, I faced it with a, a client I've been working for years to win the client, like four years. And we had a, um, a conference call to introduce ourselves to the whole team, like hundreds of people around the world. Uh-huh. And we made the mistake. I made the mistake. It's still challenging even to this day. <laughs> I made the mistake to use their conference call system, not my conference call system that I was used to using. And what it did was when people arrived for the calls, their system introduced the person mm. and said, wow. Beep. Robert is joining the call. Beep. Oh, that's annoying. And it was only a 30-minute call. And the first 10 minutes of it were people joining and interrupting. Wow. While I'm scrambling in with my team members trying to get them to turn this thing off, the notifications. It's not our system. We can't do it. Uh-huh. And then had about 10 minutes uninterrupted to talk. And then everybody started leaving early. And the final 10 minutes where everybody, beep, John has left the call. Beep. Wow. And <laughs> I sat there for about five minutes afterwards going, it's over. And the whole client engagement is over. The four years of work is over. We can't recover from this. Just sat there with my team going, and we were in the, in the UK. I'm like, they're not even going to pay for our flights home. We're done. It's over. And I sat there and I went, okay, well, here's what I got to do. I've got to walk down the hall right now before the word gets out. I had like minutes mm-hmm. and say, I made a mistake. Here's what I'm going to offer is we set up two other calls tomorrow at different time zones to address this and get it straightened out because there's no way we communicated ourselves clearly. 
and you know we have a plan here's how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with it and it worked and we ended up with like an 18 month assignment out of the deal but i for those wow. five minutes i thought we were done it was over wow so you say that you, as an entrepreneur you really need to be i think present because mm. you were present and you understood that they were mistaken yes it occurred and then you acted upon it and you also were authentic you know i think you told them look it wasn't good, I know. Didn't go well. I apologize. I take responsibility. Because otherwise you will miss contract, right? The, oh, absolutely. Right. Well, and if for a second I had said it's your fault because it's your conference call system, <laughs> that also would have doomed us. It would have been over. That's absolutely. right. The, that's the easy way. But the, the temptation was to say it's your fault, customer. It's not my fault. It's not my system. <laughs> yeah. So you say we also need to, to breathe for a moment to reflect even that our automatic behavior want to accuse the other person or the oh, client you do. when i'm listening to you it's really crucial you know you're helping leaders and you also add them and revolve uh, the lift system that sometimes manage us right each and every one of us is a belief system think that they think about the world and they, we're acting upon it and sometimes we get into a point that our belief system doesn't serve us anymore and we need to be able to, to, adjust, to adjust, right? And to adopt and to live right. this, to let it go. So what do you, how do you work with entrepreneurs when you work with the belief system that doesn't serve them anymore? Yeah, I would have to admit that it's not 100% that you can find a solution to working with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. you, you do your best. You give that. The biggest challenge, I believe, is telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And the temptation is always to say, yes, you're great. You're wonderful. This business will be successful. Just mm -hmm. keep doing what you're doing. But sometimes you have to go, you know, I had an example in it. And unfortunately, the business failed, Karen, that I was helping. Mm -hmm. But the gentleman running the, the business was, you know, yelling at the local police officers that were there to help support him in, in dealing with a confrontation. Instead, uh -huh. he was yelling at them. And I told him, I said, it's just you can't do that. You're from a different culture. I mean, it very much fits what you're talking about. You're from New York City, mm -hmm. which has a different culture in the U.S. than in Virginia, in the South. And you walking out and, and saying you've got it, you know, there's one way to find out if I've got a gun, you know, just come keep bothering me again. Saying things like that to the local police force and then following them out when they leave and yelling at them on the sidewalk. You're not <laughs> making friends here. You're not your business. It's a pie shop. Yep. Your, your business is to come in and have a piece of pie and a cup of coffee. <laughs> and yet here you are yelling and screaming at the local police force mm -hmm. a block away from the university where all your prime customers are to come in and have a have a snack and study for their finals. And it unfortunately, it failed. I, he, I told him what he needed to hear. He didn't want to hear it. Yes, that's amazing because, you know, at the end of the day, as I see it, you know, a business usually a reflection of the orders of the, of the entrepreneurs, right? So mm -hmm. sounds like he, caught, he was caught up in, in his anger, in his uh, unpleasant feelings, and he couldn't see beyond it. Yeah, absolutely. Managed by the feelings, so he yeah. lost control. Yeah, the, the emotional intelligence wasn't there. And over time, we could have guided to that, but unfortunately, he ran out of time and money. Mm -hmm. No one was coming to the business. I've seen in other entrepreneurs that they get off to a good start and they relax and you, you go back to visit them and it's like, there's no business here. And they're like, oh, well, we were doing so well. I thought I was over the hump. I thought it was, 
it would just just work automatically from this point on. Mm -hmm. And you have to get out and scramble and try to find business. And I think that's also helping entrepreneurs is adjusting. Do they need help with finances? Mm -hmm. Do they need help with sales? Do they need help with operations? And adjusting and, you, you know, what tools are in your toolkit to help them? Because it may be, you know, I've had times when I've watched over a shop for the entrepreneurs and let the shop owners go to dinner together as the husband and wife because uh -huh. their relationships were falling apart because of the business. So mm -hmm. I just said, go have dinner. I'll run things for you. That's the best thing I could do in that time. You talked before about mistake proofing. What is mm -hmm. mistake proofing? How can it help your team to improve and add value? Mistake proofing in its simplest is if you remove extra pieces to things, you remove the ways things can be done wrong, like by having standard processes, standard approaches, then you free up time for your team to do to serve the customers, to do the things you want them to do, not fix mistakes and have to go back and solve problems that occur. And a very simple example for that, there's a, a sandwich shop that has, serves their sandwiches in baskets, the plastic baskets uh, that's around the world, uh, many, many locations, but they struggled with people throwing the baskets away. Mm -hmm. And then they'd have to dig up, they put signs up, don't throw the baskets away. They dig through the trash, dig them out and clean them. And finally they solved it by changing the way the trash can was, where the hole for the trash was too small to fit the basket. <laughs> I like it. It just couldn't go wrong. Think of what you can do like that in your business. What can you make to where it just doesn't go wrong? Uh -huh. Mistake proofing, it's actually preventing the mistake from occurring, mm -hmm. right? Indeed. I've created a different situation, a different environment that won't enable to go south. Interesting. Right. Absolutely. Interesting. What do you most love when you're working with entrepreneurs? I'd like getting into you know, the motivations of what are, what are their objectives? What are they going for? Because everyone comes at it from a different perspective. Some people love the business that they're in and they want to be in it forever. Some people want to make money now and retire, sell it in five years. Mm -hmm. Some people, I've had people that have ended up owning businesses that were because they didn't know what else they wanted to do. And uh, they got uh, laid off from a job uh -huh. and they really had no intention of ever being entrepreneurs but they didn't know what else to do with themselves and they felt like they were too young to retire. Uh -huh. And so tapping into what drives them then helps you align a business plan and a strategy to get them where they want to go. And everyone is unique as far as what their aspirations are. That's right. You know, I think it's an opportunity once you, you thought your past is in a corporate and then you let go and then you find yourself doing things that you didn't think you would do. And I think it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to grow. Now you, you think each and every one of the entrepreneurs born like that and knew that you will be like that, you will have the path that you had with your father seeing him as an entrepreneur. People can grow and develop their skills mm -hmm. and be entrepreneurs. What do you think about it? They absolutely can. And it's interesting that some of the biggest challenges I've seen, I've seen it on the no-sale side, what do you do because you have no money and you've got to build that business up? But I've also seen it the other side of sales coming too, almost too quickly. Uh -huh. And suddenly, what do you do with this business that's three or four times the size you thought it would be? How do you staff it? How do you manage it? How do you collect your money from mm -hmm. your customers? 
And because suddenly you, your money vanishes that way because you've had to buy more supplies, you've had to hire more staff, and you weren't ready for it. Three months in, you're doing fantastic, but things are falling apart in the business and you have to react to it and adjust. Yeah, because you didn't think about it. Life uh -huh. was surprising and things going well, but you need the capacity. You need but to how do you get the capacity and you already have all the loans you can get or the, all the money that you've, you've used? What do you do then? Robert, I know you, you wrote a program, Eliminate Stupid, Prove Efficiency in, in the Workplace. Can you tell us about it a little bit? Sure, and I, I, I will. It's, first of all, stupid doesn't, is not people. Mm -hmm. It's not people. It stands for slow, tedious, unproductive, inefficient, uh -huh. <laughs> and duplicative. Okay? okay, so it's not about people. It's a good, uh, good clarification. <laughs> it's, it's very important. And I will also admit that the first time I did it, I failed completely at implementing the program. The idea is to identify things that don't make any sense, that are mm -hmm. those category of items, and then find a way to make them go away. So mm -hmm. it ties to mistake proofing, but it's more of removing obstacles and things that don't make any sense in the workplace. The first time I failed, it was me trying to make it happen. What do you mean by that? I, well, I tried to say here where I'm going to go around and find things that are stupid and we're going to fix them. Mm. Ego, I can, I know better type mm. of mistakes. The second time worked fantastically. And what I did was I created a stupid citing report, engaged my team, mm. asked them to turn in two stupid citing reports each. Mm -hmm. And for everyone, they would get a $5 Starbucks gift card. <laughs> That's nice. You motivate them. You motivate and, them. Yeah, we motivate them with something fairly small. We had 100 items within a week. And then we attacked those items and made them go away. What amazing for me that I'm listening to you, you actually you invited them to be in a beginner's mind look at things differently because it's really challenging when you are immersed in your environment, in your culture. It's really challenging for us to see things that doesn't work. This is why you say when someone comes into our company and is new, he can see things that we can't see. Yes, yes. So. Well, and the other aspect is you made them feel I made them feel comfortable mm -hmm. that they could share things with the team. And some of them were just fantastic things that they'd been doing for years that made no sense. But when they felt comfortable sharing, and then the other aspect is celebrating the success and, and recognizing them in group meetings for what they contributed made a huge part of it. And having signs, we put them on the wall and wow. we put a big red mark through them for every one that we would remove and celebrate that every month in a group meeting and what we had made better. Uh, it mm -hmm. actually helped with the culture and it also helped when it came time for layoffs we were always able to have more people because we had more capacity to do better work and add more value. So mm -hmm. we didn't have layoffs in my group for the long, for a long time because we were able to take and absorb work from other people because we had capacity by getting rid of things that were stupid. Amazing. But what's amazing to me the most is the ability to appreciate the things that are doing. Usually we don't appreciate things, right? We're only looking for sure. what's not working, what's not good at least criticizing ourselves, others, instead of also seeing the half full glass and say, okay, this is works. This is working. This is good. And, 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 and being willing to say and praise other people and praise your team in front of others and 
you you miss that in the day to day often. You you can just get into what the problems are and fixing the problems. You know, it's really accessible for us, and we don't do it usually, right? So this is what amazes me every time. Yeah. Well, we can all do better. That's the reality. It's it's difficult to acknowledge that sometimes, but we all can. Absolutely. And did you finish the model? You talked about the STU. What is the U? Unproductive. Mm. Ah, okay. Talked about so that's the U and the P. Mm. Uh, ineff- inefficient and duplicative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the the, one, the first one that came up actually was hysterical. Is we were we were writing checks to ourselves uh-huh. in the organization I was in. And the amount of cost and effort and problems it was causing was just huge on a day-to-day basis. And Uh brought up with probably the lowest level person on my team is the one who identified it. And the first one we removed, which was fantastic. Wow. Interesting. You said in the beginning that you worked with a large organization and you implemented from the large organization. And still today, you're working with large organization also. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from large organization and brought to the entrepreneurship and to the small organization? I learned a couple things. One could be perceived as negative, which is just because it's a bigger company doesn't mean that it's run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. When I got to a larger company, I thought, okay, this is going to really run perfectly and it's going to be great. And I learned instead, no, they have the same problems as entrepreneurs just on a bigger scale. Huh. So I had to learn that one the hard way of like, okay, they need help. And how do you make things better on a larger scale? What I learned that I take back to entrepreneurs is having standard practices and processes and an approach to things and even project management and having the plan and strategy. Those are all things you can take back that, is, that are often overlooked mm-hmm. by entrepreneurs. They, they are very good at something they do. And they, so they go out and try to do it on their own, but they don't think about I mean, they're very good technically at a certain thing, whether it's being a plumber or being a baker, but running a business, how do they have the right processes to make sure it works and works without them? That's something that a large corporation has to think about all the time. Small businesses tend to neglect. Yes, it's interesting. You know, I talked about the fact that mindful leaders need to hold tensions and the modern organization hold a lot of tensions between the short term and the long term, between mm-hmm. the employees need and the organization need. And for the startups, it's between control and emergence. Because, you know, as a bureaucratic corporation, we have a lot of procedure in place. And as a startup, you have it all emerges, right? It's a lot of spontaneity and things emerge. And then in order to grow, you need to find the balance between the control and the emergence. Because if you, as a founder, will go directly to the bureaucratic aspect, you will lose your people because you will lose the culture and the environment people want to be part of. Absolutely. You can't continue doing what you did as a startup because you won't be able to grow. So you need to find the, the right procedures to put in place in order to enable the ground for flourishing. But it's a, a challenge to hold this tension. Oh, it is. And you, um, beyond the word tension, which I think is really critical, but you used a word that's so important, which is balance between your strengths and weaknesses, between the opportunities and threats that exist in the marketplaces, things you can't control, what can you control. It's all about balance and adjustment over time. Robert, what two or three tips you want you can give beyond what you talked about, uh, the amazing uh, stories and the uh, thing that you say that you can give to our listeners that want to scale the business, want to take the business to the next level? What do you think most important? 
I think um, one is have a plan, mm -hmm. written down plan before you move forward. Two would be always keep looking forward, not backward. It's very mm -hmm. tempting to look back and say, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Keep looking forward. Three, I think, would be understand your weaknesses and hire people that will fill in the gaps that you have. Don't try to become not weak at something. Mm -hmm. Instead, well, hire somebody that's good at what you aren't good at. And backing into your word that you use, balance, that keeps things in balance. It's tempting for entrepreneurs to go, well, I'm really good at sales, but I'm not good at finance, so I'm going to spend all my time on finance. Mm -hmm. Well, then no sales come in. You're good at sales. Go do sales. Hire somebody to do the finance work. I think it's really crucial because then you also do what you most good at, bring you the most value, and you also enjoy it and bring people that create balance, and then you can yeah. go together as a team. Yeah, those are all helpful things. Absolutely. Great tips. Robert, anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to share with us? You know, I just, um, I have my, my book that's for, for sale, uh, Don't Be Dumb, that's available on Amazon. Would love to um, have people read it and get ideas of their own. Would also have my website that's uh, don'tbedumb.expert that people can go to and um, connect with me that way. Love to talk to folks and see if there's ways that I can help them. Great. Thank you very much. I love the conversation and I am curious, why did you choose this title of the book, Don't Be Dumb? It's interesting. I, I chose the title. There's two reasons, actually. Okay. One was it, it was advice my dad gave me when I was about 12 years old, which okay. didn't make my mom happy. She was looking for some really nice advice, uh -huh. but it, it, he just looked up at me over his cup of coffee and said, yeah, don't be dumb. And it's actually very good advice. Over time, it's like, have I always been smart about things? No, but I can look at myself and go, mm, that was pretty dumb. I need to be better at that. So that was where it came from, was advice that he gave me when I was 12 years, 13 years old. And um, the second was something that would stand out a bit from the marketplace of the first thing is like, what's this about type of reaction to give a little different perspective. It is a very positive book about moving forward but it has a title to sort of grab your attention. Great. Marketing, we need it all. Great. I love it that you combine your personal story. You see, it's amazing how loved one affects us, right? With a good sentence and it's going with us during our life and then we can use it in different ways. So it's interesting to see how you gave it place through your book. So sounds like a great book with a lot of wisdom and a lot of tips. So look at yeah. Amazon. Thank you. Well, I'd love for folks to read it and not make the same mistakes I've made. They can make their own mistakes, but they can learn from the ones that I've made and save, save that from them. What is the biggest mistake that you think you made before we wrap up? Um, what did you learn from it? I became more confrontational about things with people mm -hmm. and without pausing to think about how to solve a problem as a team. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple instances that I'm, that in my career that actually they cost me jobs. I, rather than think about it, I reacted and didn't. I mean, it's one thing to react rapidly, but not re react instantaneously to mm -hmm. something going on that can end up putting a bad taste in people's mouths. It can go very badly quickly. So take, take that, even in my example that I gave earlier, take that five minutes to mm -hmm. determine how you're going to react. Don't just react immediately. 
Great, and this also connects with my uh, vision and what I'm bringing to the world, the, the ability to lead from a mindfulness place, right? From the ability to pause, to listen to yes. ourselves, and then choose our behavior instead of being navigated by triggers and challenges. Yeah, people act like they don't have choices. You mm. do have a choice. It's just you don't think of it as a choice, but right. you do have a choice if you pause and think about it. And we finish the conversation by where we started. Don't act upon your ego, but mm-hmm. by reflecting and be humble and there to show up and be vulnerable and authentic and talk your mistakes, each and every one of us. Absolutely. We all make them. You just got to own them and be humble about it. Robert, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Me too. I really appreciate the time. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.